Okay, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another long-form conversation with Mark Steves. Um, I, damn it, sorry, I'm not going to say. Let me redo that. I forgot not to say your last name. Sorry, man. No, um, you don't. You don't have to. You don't have to redo it. Keep it. Oh, now you have to redo it either way. No, oh, keep it. Keep it. It's then fun. we'll keep it. Then perfect. We'll keep it from Alt Media United. <laughs> I love it. I love the free flow of it. Um, today, uh, welcome back to the Elemental Philosophorum. Uh, today we will be covering a very, very interesting element. I think all three of us have different uh, for sources, research, and and perspectives on this, which is uh, the element called tungsten. So. Again, uh, without further ado, uh, Mark, brother, as we usually do in these episodes, the floor is yours to begin. Thank you. Thank you for gathering with me here on another uh, Elemental Philosophorum. Tungsten is the element of the uh, of the day here, and I think it's very you know innocuous in the sense that everybody kind of assumes like, oh yeah, tungsten. I think I remember that from science class. It's inside of a light bulb, right? Well, right. It's interesting because its name actually comes from heavy stone. Tungsten is a Swedish or, or Norwegian word for heavy stone. And it actually um, only got that name sort of to clarify. It comes from wolframite, which is yeah. named, you know, which is why it has a W as its symbol for wolfram. Right. And it got that name from a gentleman who was, and I have his name right here. I don't want to get it wrong, but I could not remember because it's, it's a doozy of a name. So it was. Oh, talking about the Schleel guy? No. Well, the, the there was a guy, name. there was a different guy who named it. Oh, Fausto um, de Hellerhor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. That's a weird name. So he was a chemist and he I'll noticed. Put, I'll put his name were, typed out on the screen for the audience because, yeah, no one's going to pronounce that right. That'd be cool. So he named it because they were trying to make tin and they noticed how the, the wolframite would just like devour the tin and just like spoil the whole batch, right? They were trying to make alloys. We got into that on a previous episode. Who knows what they were trying to do? I think they were just trying to make tin back then. They didn't really have the use for it that we do now. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, where I found the real interesting connection was this guy that you just named. He has the same birthday as me. That's weird. Not the same year, obviously, but same birthday, October 11th. Interesting. Um, and then um, the guy who kind of brought tungsten into its actual application that we now remember it for of conducting electricity sufficiently enough to glow and, and create light it was a guy named ebenezer kinnersley and he was in philadelphia okay mm. which you know people listen to the my family think some crazy podcast no i talk about this quite a lot great mystery philadelphia philadelphia is on a bunch of different ley lines it's an incredibly you know, energetic place in many mm -hmm. different good and very bad ways. So it's interesting that we see Philadelphia being, you know, the innovator uh, in this sort of science because there's so much Promethean energy in the symbolism around Philadelphia itself. Right. So that take like a whole other conversation. People should check out Ross Ben's work if they want to learn more about that. But I found that really interesting that the guy who kind of um, put the idea in Benjamin Franklin's head that this would even be possible was a man named 
Ebenezer Kinnersley, and he was working with a more primitive type of battery that just wasn't holding a charge long enough. So he was really only able to make his electrodes glow this kind of like dull red light. But the idea was sparked like, oh, we can use something as a medium, run an electric current through it, and it'll glow, right? So this, you know, led to many innovations and, and problems. And we eventually get to a guy named Edison who is remembered for inventing mm-hmm. the light bulb. Well, obviously, anybody who looks into his story knows that he was just a really great businessman, less than he was an inventor. Yeah. And he actually, you know, had many, many different people working for him to figure out how they were going to create this light in a, a, a way to you know harness it. So tungsten was eventually found to be the best candidate for this. It's got the highest tensile strength and the highest melting point of any metal. Yeah. And it's it's also extremely heavy, which is why I'm sure you guys will add to this, you know, why it's used in military armor and also in armor piercing uh bullets, but bullets isn't the best projectiles. It's used in armor piercing projectiles, even like these space spear weapons that they drop from space that are like super heavy. They're like tank busters. Yeah. Uh, and it's seen now to be like a environmentally friendly alternative to uranium because uranium and tungsten are equally uh, heavy in the sense of heavy metals, not quite as heavy as tungsten, but it doesn't have that radioactive uh, you know, waste effect afterwards that tungsten, you know, or that uranium has. So that's that's kind of the broad strokes of what I found. But what do you guys have to add? To well, that? not to interrupt, to completely tangent. My neighbor just texted me. My cat is in the hallway. Brb, brb, brb. I have no. I idea found I found some very interesting things pertaining to. Um, we see here, uh, according to Wikipedia, again, this is just basic Wikipedia. Ja- um, Jack Parsons, rocket engineer. Um, his full name was John Whiteside Parsons, uh, was an American rocket engineer, chemist, and thelemite occultist associated with the California Institute of Technology, Caltech. He was one of the principal founders of both the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and the Aerojet Engineering Corporation. He invented the first rocket engine to use a castable composite rocket propellant and pioneered the advancement of both liquid fuel and solid fuel rockets. Now, very few people know this, to my understanding at least, but Mr. Parsons with Aleister Crowley used to actually perform rituals within the JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Now, this ties back into tungsten because they allegedly during some, not all, some of these rituals, they used certain metallurgies such as, or elements rather, sorry, such as tungsten in order to, I, again, I don't know for what, but again, as part of these rituals. Now, I only say this not in a way of trying to pass judgment, but from a neutral perspective, the question becomes, okay, putting aside the very depraved things in which occurred there, what extent did tungsten play in any potential, you know, um, uh, uh, ritual seance, uh, you know, ceremony, if you will. And that interestingly enough, um, takes me to my next point, which is that if we take a look at, um, this is the, I'll share this with my, uh, I'll share this on the screen very quickly. Uh, but I will, I do want to find maybe a more, uh, just a separate source, but this is according to the Biblefiles.com, September 2nd, 2021. 
Researchers in Russia find dozens of strange disc-shaped objects containing tungsten. Um, if we do a quick um, DuckDuckGo search, and I think that's one of the great things about doing these episodes, actually, Mark, is that we can we can do it in real time as well. Uh, Russia UFO tungsten is that... Here we go. Ancientorigins.net, uh, UP Online News. Uh, okay, here we go. Yeah, this is much more. Okay, I see. Uh, so let's take a look at ancientorigins.net. More than a dozen mysterious carved discs found near Volgograd, Russia. And here's the thing. And I quote, a team of investigators in Russia have found more than a dozen discs in the Volgograd region of Russia. The team claims that the discs contain tungsten a high-density metal that has applications in military technology. The nature of the discs remain a mystery. Now, again, it's very possible, you know, it, it could have literally been a modern military experiment by the Russian government where they were trying to mess with tungsten, maybe using things like acoustic levitation or, you know, ferromagnetic propulsion of some kind, or maybe this was some type of ancient structure of some kind. And again, what I find interesting, uh, sorry for the little ramble here, but about oh, tungsten no. is that, <laughs> at the at the subatomic and isotopic level, what seems to be uh, quite prevalent within tungsten is the smoothness in which the uh, again I'm not a physicist or anything like this, so I'm not pretending to be one. But the, to my understanding, the smoothness and the fluidity in which tungsten has within its uh, within its own structure before it's even modified, and I say this because it's interesting that when you take a look, for example, at things like let's see over here. Um, uh, this is aip.citation.org. This was submitted August 13th, 2021. The timing is also interesting relative to when the story, the, the story in Russia broke there, but crystal structures and mechanical properties of tungsten monocarbide predicted by first principles investigations. So we see here, there's also a crystalline structure, which again, uses fractals, fractality and all that. But the point I'm trying to make is that I know I've mentioned him quite a lot recently, but if we look at Cliff Stone, for example, in the interview in 2006 with Project Camelot, he mentioned that I, I believe he was referring to what we now know to be the Black Knight satellite. He said it's an in there. He said in whatever species sent it, he didn't know, but he goes in their um, in in their form of technology that would be like us nowadays using a, a satellite from the 70s or 80s. It still works. So they he said they send it every 30 to 40 years to orbit Earth as a way of monitoring. Now allegedly, this Black Knight satellite has a strong amount of tungsten within it. And what's interesting too is that on the surface. It doesn't appear to be anything like we would imagine. There's no screen. There's nothing to indicate that it's, you know, uh, uh, advanced. You know, you would just think it's um, a de space debris or something like this. But if it's possible, relative to what we spoke about a couple episodes ago, about like the skin of, the, of some of these craft, if the skin leading into the utmost core inner layers of the tungsten on the Black Knight satellite is some type of a monitoring energetic surveillance tool, or system of some kind, it wouldn't surprise me. And I say this because look at the timing of, of the, of these quote unquote studies that are suggesting there's been a lot of suggesting these days, you know, last year, traversable wormholes weren't a thing. And all of a sudden now it's suggested that traversable wormholes are, we see, you know, crystalline structures within that of the tungsten, you know, composition. I can't help but think that there's a strong, strong connection here. Uh, again, sorry for the ramble, but. Oh, not a ramble at all. No worries, man. <laughs> I, uh, I, I did. Yeah, I did see that tungsten is used for its incredible, you know, durability and it's 
the hardest material next to diamonds. So they use it to create titanium or uh, to create carbides, which then they would probably put on a satellite to protect it from whatever space debris is floating around. But I don't know. I mean, the, the, what I'm really hung up on is the, the discs that you just showed there. Cause for the listening audience, I mean, we're talking about huge UFO shaped stone looking discs made out of tungsten and they're like three, four feet in diameter, uh, you know, and probably a ton. Looking. I mean, tungsten's is as heavy as they say. It's probably multiple tons. And that guy standing next to it, I mean, he could barely reach both arms around it if he wanted to. So, I mean, those were massive discs. Whether the military built them or not, I mean, what comes to mind is like uh, like they're shooting them like frisbees out of a cannon or something. But like, I, I don't, I mean, like you said, possibly they're using some sort of magnetism to levitate those discs that could be possible too i mean right. i spoke with peter shampoo and he was talking about how the ley lines could have been activated to lift huge massive amounts of stone so again it's like magnetic energy tungsten has these really strange properties that might be you know they might coalesce with that you know the the need uh for that but yeah Right. Well, actually, speaking of which, I appreciate you bringing that up, brother, because before uh, Camden jumps in here, let's take a quick step back to those discs. Uh, I think you made a good point. We probably should have went over that a bit more, but we see here um, a large stone disc being, for those watching visually, being visited, uh, lifted by a crane in Volgograd in Russia. Um, let's see here. Uh, earlier this year, and I quote, another disc-shaped disc stone object was discovered in Russia by a coal mining company, this time in Siberia's Kuznetsk Basin. Uh, the strange relic was found 40 meters underground, which suggests quite old. Archaeologists who examined the stone disc, which is perfectly circular... Uh, with a diameter of 1.2 meters stated that it was man-made now interestingly enough again this would give you some context um we see here uh yeah dug up in russia by a coal mining company of the sizes and things like that now again this is very consistent with the traditional disc-shaped craft no curvatures very smooth it's almost as if it's one unified uh you know uh, composition or material if you want to call it one thing i found interesting however though is that as you were speaking, Mark, which you brought up, thanks to you, actually, or else I never would have thought of it, ionization, tungsten ionization energy. Now, I, I think if we remember the ionized air pockets, yeah. what you could do with that and what these beings allegedly do uh, when they ionize the air and things like that. What's interesting, quick side note for the audience, is that um, the, the members will know this more than the public because it's up for our members now, but the interviews we we've done with certain um you know uh, physicists and and others uh, that are very into that that uh, industry or realm of being able to decipher the raw data of ufo's uaps half of them to to our knowledge at least again maybe this is just an anecdotal example but half of them don't know about you know don't know what ionized air pockets could or would do then the other half say no 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 that would make perfect sense as to why these beings might use ionized air pockets and in some cases in direct parallel or correspondence with tungsten. Now we see here the uh, tungsten.atomistry.com. The tungsten ionization energy is the energy required to remove from atom one, um, from the atom one mole of electrons with subsequent production of positively charged ion of tungsten. Uh, this process can be repeated many times, but the energy cost is increased dramatically. The general equation for the tungsten is, again, I've no understanding of that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Now, the one final thing here, 
is that according to iopscience.iop.org, Journal of Physics, the Atomic, Molecular, and Optical Physics, disentangling, this was published August 9th, 2005, disentangling the emissions of highly ionized tungsten in the range of 4 to 14 nm, I would presume, uh, I could. I don't want to take a guess at that because I don't want to spread you know misinfo or anything like that. But anyways, take a look at this right here. In this work, EBIT or EBIT measurements in the spectral range of four to seven nm with electron energies from zero point seven keV to four keV. I'm going to be straight up, no idea what that is, but here's the thing, are compared in detail. The energy and temperature dependence of spectral lines and features are investigated and an identification of the charge states W39 plus minus W45 plus for spectral lines between 4.5 nm and 6.5 nm is possible by taking cross sections from atomic data produced by plane wave born calculations via the Cohen code. Now, okay. The reason why I bring this up is because if we take a look here a little bit further down, we see there's discussion about discharges pertaining to, again, a special tokamak discharge have provided ideal possibilities for analysis. These discharges show spectra which are dominated by the emissions from a small region with a narrow electron temperature range. Therefore, only very few ion states contribute to the emission in contrast to the usual case where in the tokamak spectra, the emissions of a larger number of ion states are superimposed, end quote. Now, I bring all this up because we see here, and I quote, we conclude that the narrower features in the EBIT spectra at a certain electron beam energy result from the smaller number of coexisting ion states, end quote. These coexisting ion states within the ionized, as we see here, um, the disentangling the emissions of highly ionized tungsten seems to suggest at least based on what we're seeing here, that it's possible there are different, I guess you could call fractal reserves or segments that these ionized uh, tungsten, I, I don't want to say um, these ionized pockets within the composition of tungsten entail. It's almost like they're, I don't want to use the word self-conscious, but they're self-aware in a fractal sense. Within mm -hmm. this, again, I don't know what NM means, but within the 4.5 to 6.5 NM range, I hope someone in the comments N or publicly or could- uh, NM, like N Nathan M Michael. Okay, nanometers is my best guess. But That's what I was going to say too before. I just didn't want to go out on a limb. But again, I hope that those in the comments or those listening would could see what I'm getting at here in in uh, in that regard. But yeah, sorry to sorry to hog it for so long, guys. But I found it interesting. Yeah, the ionization. Nanometers is all it means, or nautical miles. But they're not talking about nautical miles. Okay, yeah, I was going to say I thought of that too, but I'm like, no, no, no. Well, <laughs> um, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you bring up so many interesting points. The the ionized forms of it is the same. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it is. That's isotopes, right? Of of the element. That that's what ionized elements are. The isotopes of said element, right? If I'm not mistaken, yes, yeah. Okay, so From, yeah. the isotopes of tungsten, and when I found they are slightly radioactive, yet they're decay rate is a quintillion years give or take um only only you know a couple thousand of each of the five kinds of isotopes so they're practically stable so those ionized versions those ionized air po pockets you incorporate tungsten it's hanging around it's, it's yeah it's not going anywhere even if it was you know talk about in these saucer frisbee things it's it's stable it's dense it's it's solid 
material to use. And I wonder as well if tungsten is a a particular type of element that only, again, certain maybe factions or species use for their propulsion of the craft. And I say that because the Russian finding made me think, again, the, the, we have enough corroboratory evidence of whistleblower testimony to say whether it's from private industry or military, right. that right. there are different propulsion systems. I wonder if tungsten plays a key role within a certain one relative to the bending of space yeah, and time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will tell you, China owns 80% of the tungsten market in the world. 80%. Really? So, yeah. so in terms of not factions of other species, but factions of humanity, China's, yeah. China's the faction as far as tungsten goes. So... Well, wow. it's relatively new, new metal. I mean, just yeah. like uh, what we talked about last uh, time we did this with titanium, it's only been recently uh, discovered and really utilized after 1783, I think was when it was discovered. And um, what's interesting is that there is this big push now to find sources of it in Canada, North America, and Europe so that they can have a sort of balance to that stronghold monopoly that you know China has on it but either way you know it even pre-world war 2 put a strain on the flow of diamonds because the only thing you know like i said harder than tungsten is diamonds so they need diamonds to cut these little tungsten wires that they then create into the filaments um, but the nazis ended up using these tungsten projectiles and again, due to its conductibility, when it hits something, it's so charged with melting it. Yeah, it Just literally melt. melts. And yeah. now the way they have, you know, the weaponry, it will go inside the tank and it's so hot that it literally cooks whatever is inside the tank. So it's, you know, incredibly deadly uh weapon when applied in that way and i don't know yeah. i'd never actually found because i read about all the you know beginning to use it world war ii and everything we talked about you know the rail type weapons but like is that a major piece of ammunition manufacturing today is that something that they're still using because of its hardness its denseness i don't know i'm asking uh mark did you want to answer that brother or i mean i don't know how relevant it is but in 2015, someone said yes, because it's, you know, um, I think you might have been, you stepped away at this point, Camden, yeah, but sorry. uranium is toxic. So, you mm. know, it's radiate, you know, it's radioactive. So tungsten is an alternative, but it's not, I don't think it's as easily procured as uranium is, which is why they were using that over. Ah, right, right, right. Speaking of which, to add to that as well, too, um, again, going back to AIP.citation.org, a different part of the a different branch of the, the report here or the, the study, rather, uh, we see here, and I quote, tungsten monocarbide seems to be uh, represented by the letters WC with high hardness, high melting pressure and wear resistance is an important material used in the, in the industry for high pressure studies. Tungsten monocarbide, I'm just going to say that instead of WC, uh, is widely used as seats in diamond anvil cells in high pressure research studies it displays pt like behaviors in catalytic reactions and is a potential alternative electrocatalyst now i'm not going to pretend like i know what that means so i'm going to look that up real quick electrocatalyst means an electrocat is a catalyst that oh excuse me one second sorry about that uh it is 
a catalyst that participates in electrochemical reactions. They're a specific form of catalyst that function at electrode surfaces, or most commonly, maybe the electrode surface itself. Again, similar to what I was saying earlier when Camden stepped out about giving that comparison to the smoothness and fluidity of what Clifford Stone mentioned about the Black Knight satellite and how, you know, uh, space rocks and things, debris don't, or meteorites, things like this don't orbit in the way that does and don't give off uh, electromagnetic frequencies and, and ionization surveillance the way that he claimed it did. Now, here's what's interesting as well, too. Uh, moreover, tungsten monocarbide, um, with co-hard metals with superior uh, mechanical properties and cutting performance are extensively used within industry. Now, it crystallizes in a hexagonal structure at ambient conditions with the space group P. I, I don't even, I'm not going to pretend like I know what that is. So the, the point here is that we see the high pressure can modify the physical properties or induce structural phase transitions. Now, the question then becomes, right? what type of pressure could vary and alter and create something that could, again, bend space-time in different ways. So like if we see here, uh, though the equation of state, uh, EOS, stability, elasticity, hardness, and electronic structures of, um, excuse me, uh, tungsten monocarbide are extensively reached, only little information is available about pressure-induced phase transitions explored. Um, yeah, excuse me, sorry. Now, See this end quote. This is what I find interesting because, again, this is one of those things that it's like there's not much, you know, research that's that, you know, that's yeah. been delved into about pressure induced phase transitions. Because when we think of that, in my opinion, pressure induced, I think of piezoelectricity. You know, I, I right. think of things, I'm not saying that fits into this directly, but again, the fact that there hasn't been much uh, study on this or things like that, don't tell me the funding is not there because if these institutions want to fund things, they'll get it done. So clearly, in my opinion, especially with such a uh, an open source website and, and frame of reference like aip.citation.org, I mean, mm -hmm. come on. Like we have it all right here in one shot. We got monocar a tungsten monocarbide crystallizes into a hexagonal structure. And then we scroll down a little bit more. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Not too much information is available about it when it's in a pressure induced phase. Oh, how convenient. You know, like I, I can't, I can I'm not trying to create a conspiracy where there isn't one, but I can't help but think that when I see this, I mean, you know, like. It's, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, even publicly, I had to go check to make sure, but it is. Even publicly, it's in almost all our satellites. I think I heard y'all talking about that earlier, the satellites that it's in. It's in almost all of our space shuttles we were doing, hypersonic aircraft. It's in it's the the nose, like the um like what breaks the atmosphere first, and you know, you see that ball of fire coming off. If anyone remembers recently China's like whole hyper sonic craft thing that uh that they said broke laws of physics or whatever it did Th that's their their nose is compo comprised of mostly tungsten so it is widely used even in public spacecraft and travel um much less what you were getting into earlier dave um i did want to sorry mark did you want to jump in brother if not i got something i just found yeah go ahead Thank you. Um, so we see here, for those watching visually, I'm going to share my screen just once more. Um, Phil Schneider, for those that are not familiar with him, very quickly, quick little uh, briefing on him. He was allegedly a... Um, just he to, worked be with clear, him. to be clear, I, I'm not oh. having any screen share because I'm not recording that part of Zoom. So you just send me the links later and I'll put them on the screen. But Oh, on. gotcha. Nope. Okay, yeah. thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Um, so we see here... Uh, 
Phil Schneider, allegedly very you know famed individual for uh, a lot of people uh, believe that he's dead. His, his the, the pictures, uh, photographs of him in the late '90s seem to, to to show that. But the point is, is that he he was one of the first, uh, at least on the surface level of things, to to come out and say, "Listen, I don't believe what's going on within these deep underground military bases is moral or ethical relative to the Constitution." He claimed to have been shot at within the Dulce or the Dulce base mm. um, within uh, New Mexico. You name it. However, this is one of the big. He was one. Of the first to also come forward with some pictures from these deep underground military bases and talk about you know the way they build them how they build them uh, and all that kind of stuff um however if we take a look here and i did watch this speech uh we see here again he's holding this particular uh piece of metallurgy which it shows here is a titanium alloy from roswell however there was another speech and these are just some animated drawings in the back because th this was apparently how he got hurt but anyways in, in one of the other speeches, he talks about how a particular metal, and he doesn't say what kind of metal, he says is put inside of every single military equipment or every single uh, military aircraft, um, uh, helicopters, fighter jets, you name it. And he said that no, very few people except for those at the top um, relative to the compartmentalization of it only know what's going on within the craft. The fact that this metallurgy can immediately, uh, in extreme emergencies, bend the craft, shut them down, literally disable it, bend space and time. And it's in, according to him, a lot of the uh, now uh, oper operational uh, American weaponry and devices and, th and equipment. If tungsten is so significant, could it be possible that tungsten has been implemented into some of these different equipments? Maybe not all of them, but some of them. Now, interestingly enough, he also that same piece of metal, he said, if I'm not mistaken, was some was predated to something like a couple hundred million years old. So this is separate from the picture I just showed of him holding the titanium alloy from Roswell. But he said it was a couple hundred million years old. Now, he, to be fair, he also said to play the other side of things. He goes, listen, you don't have to believe me. He goes, I'm telling you what I know to be true. He goes, it's just what I know to be true. And I respect that because, again, he's not saying this is factual the way it is. He's just saying this is what I know, what I've been told, what I've experienced. So, again, um, yeah, this is, again, he also was the, the one of the first ones to come out and say a lot of Secret Service agents died after the Dolce incident in the 70s, I believe, and what have you. But the point about the metal, though, is what strikes me to be the most interesting and peculiar. And if it's put inside of all these military craft and and you know their their helicopters, their fighter jets, yeah, it it really makes you think. Like when you take a look, for example, at how you know a pilot, military pilots like Commander Fravor have interactions with um with these UFOs and what have you. I can't help but think that's not all, but some of the inhabitants in these craft, these alien craft, know and can detect this potential again element uh, or ionized tungsten within some of these equi equipment. It's if you got something, Mark, go ahead. I didn't even mean to find this. I just found something really weird about it. <laughs> I love that you guys keep finding things. No, I was just gonna say, I mean, Jesus, used from everything from crosshairs to knives to bullet right. casing. So it's it's totally within the whole uh reach of military technology. I'm just curious if eighty percent of it comes from China, how is the military using it in so in like such frequency? Right. But they also, you know, it doesn't degrade theoretically as fast as most things. So it, it, you know, those things that they made with 
Or uh-huh. they, yeah, or they go into the, you know, not the bomb sites, but they go in and picking up bullet casings or they go, you know what I mean? Like, are they able to really recycle it? Because, yeah, sure. Then. Interesting. Um, it, to Just on straight market value, it's got, so this was November 3rd. We're in November, right? Yeah, okay. November 3rd, Tungsten, Midwest Tungsten Services in Willowbrook, Illinois, manufactured a 14-inch across cube, so 14, 14, 14, that because tungsten is just like we've said so heavy so dense it the 14 inch cube so like only a little more than a foot weighs 2000 pounds literally a ton and it sold to a group of anonymous crypto investors for 25 $250,000 and the it is sold as an NFT but the owners I went to OpenSea. I'll put that on the on the screen too now. Um, the owners can go to actual Midwest Tungsten uh, in Illinois and see it in its own room, in its own private place. It includes on OpenSea unlockable content for the owner. There's no description of what unlockable content is by owning this, but you know what I mean? Like, what do you... Like, not only do they own this only 14-inch cube that is valued at 250000 but it comes with unlockable content. It's in its own room. It's like that's that's a really strange thing. <laughs> content in what? Like what? That, that's, what? I'll show it on the screen. But uh, um, wow. I guess I can share my screen to y'all, even though they won't see it. But like, I I don't know. I don't well, know. Would it be possible that the crypto aspect is like you know adding to the value of? crypto as an asset like our yeah. crypto is based in the value of this tungsten block that you know right we, no, exactly now we're gonna mint you know this many cryptos according to the weight of this tungsten block right like would that be so can y'all can y'all see that right now yep so yep. like literally that thing right there unlockable content I, we can't see what that means at all but it's uh, that is the cube held in willowbrook and this is the nft that someone owns tungsten dao whoever that is and it literally just sold this month like at what it's that's a set market value now of a tungsten cube like is this mineral holding you know like how much how many of yeah. bullets we just talked about could you make out of this one ton cube how like that that's just weird dude right yeah no i see what you're saying um sorry did any of you guys want to uh jump in on this because i did find something else yeah, as well too a little separate but uh from crypto um you guys can see my screen when i uh when i share it like this yep. yeah i can see your screen. okay let's take a look here this is according to alien-ufo-sightings.com ancient nanostructures found in Ural mountains are out of place and time now again a lot of people may be familiar with these especially for those that are watching visually, you could see this. Um, An upart, out-of-place artifact, is a term, and I quote, applied to dozens of prehistoric objects found in various places around the world that, given their level of technology, are completely at odds with their determined age based on physical, chemical, and or geological evidence. Uparts often are frustrating to conventional scientists and a delight to adventurous investigators and individuals interested in alternative scientific theories. Now, this is just some of the material found in 1991. The appearance of extremely tiny coil-shaped artifacts have been found near the banks of Russia's Kozim, Narada, and Balban-Yu rivers brought about a debate that has continued to this day. These mysterious 
mysterious and minuscule structure suggest that there may have been a culture capable of developing nanotechnology 300,000 years ago. Now, these manufactured coils were initially discovered during geological research associated with the extraction of gold yeah. in the Earl Mountains. Again, maybe we could connect that to the Anunnaki, but that's not even the point here. These pieces include coils, spirals, shafts, and other unidentified components. Now, here's what's interesting as well. Let's scroll down a little bit more. According to an analysis from the Russian Academy of Science of Sciences in uh, Siktivkar, hopefully I said that right, the largest pieces found are mostly copper, while the smallest are made of tungsten and molybdenum. That now, is a really dense m mineral element to make something that, like the next thing says, smallest one ten thousandth of an inch. The small yes. ones, if they're tungsten, that is that is a crazy manufacturing capability. Right. That is huge. And not only that, but it again, for at least to me personally, from what I get relative to the uh, the previous uh, uh, study that we were looking at, if they're saying there's very little research on tungsten and how it could be applied within that of, again, a, a sort of like a piezoelectric uh, a sense yeah. um, or application, I could see why there's been no public funding for it because it would be able to, to produce things like this, give it under the right you know uh, settings and things like that, which would then open the door to a lot of things I think those at the top right now don't want to be open to, whether it's alternative history or whether it's, you know, uh, the ability to now apply this type of discovery to modern day uh, apparatuses, right? Because we see here, um, and I quote, their shape suggests, oh, well, first off, while the largest of these objects measures 1.18 inches, the smallest, keep in mind, the smaller ones are the ones with tungsten and the other uh, element are only one, one out of 10,000 10, of an inch i mean that I, I don't know that you can see that to the naked eye you know but that is that is getting tiny and when they say debates about nanotech that yeah that's i'd imagine Th this that is size. this is a magnified image right. of one of the nano coils so um in fact they have been found to closely resemble the same miniature components of contemporary nanotechnology Again, the fact that there hasn't been much studying into tungsten's ability type stuff absolutely right Right. Um, in 1996, Dr. E.W. Matvejeva from the Central Scientific Research Department of Geology and Exploitation of Precious Metals in Moscow, wow, that's a long title, writes that despite being thousands mm -hmm. of years old, the components are of a technological origin. Again, I, you know, uh, Mr. Schneider had mentioned things many, many mi millions of years old compared to this, but still, yeah. I mean, again, the fact that I find interesting, the smaller ones are made of tungsten right the and real small ones. ones were copper which is you know not a weak metal but it's a, it's a versatile type thing but it the the smaller ones being made of denser things yeah it goes that manufacturing capacity is insane that is that is all too modern and contemporary for something what was it three hundred thousand years ago I think. yep <laughs> yep and that's in the same area as the big discs too right, right? yes yep mm. exactly uh, let me see At here. At what point do coincidences stop being coincidences? That's it. Well, exactly. Because exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they're on the uh, 40, 42nd or 44th parallel, which is <clears throat> which is like the human activity zone on the planet, right? Right, so, yeah. You know, even before whatever cataclysms were on the brink of the beginning of this civilization, people were most likely living in that same area uh, throughout as long as humans have lived on this been planet. Around the, yeah. Mm. 
determination of tungsten. Sorry, guys. I just wanted to. Oh, I'm right. just, was just I doing was some more. Say, you know, to yeah. your point about tungsten and its ability to crystallize. They use it in hard steel or fast, quick steel is what it's called. Right. They call okay. That it's treated really quickly, like it finishes faster than uh, the before. And it and it, uh, just asking it it finishes fast because of tungsten's crystallization. Right, they're mm -hmm. they're creating a steel tungsten alloy, and uh, you know, back to the whole World's Fair thing for people who are interested in that whole Tartaria thing. It was debuted at the World's Fair, so uh, what that means, who knows? But I think it's definitely pivotal to the skyscrapers and that whole era of uh, building because you know all of that steel is most likely a, a carbide, you know, tungsten yeah. steel alloy. Mm. Wow. Well, I just wanted to be completely open and transparent here. You might see in the on, on in the Zoom chat, Mark, that we were going back and forth. Um, we were just. I personally, I have to say, that's tungsten is so so interesting that it's to the point where there's not even that much on it relative to modern science because I think there's suppression behind. And we've it. run into that before on some of these elements where it seems like. Uh, science has done a disservice by not investigating some of these things more like how we're, we're just sitting here you know interneting we're not we're not doing yeah. anything special and why are we able to at least draw these conclusions and questions when it doesn't seem like anyone with any kind of grant has even tried to do something in the material it's just mm. yeah exactly a lot. is well, there is, is oh sorry mark please well, back to, you know, what we touched on with titanium, tungsten's another one of these um, elements that's in the human body. It's got yeah. organic components as well. So I think that's very interesting considering, you know, the whole electric universe theory and this yep. whole idea that we uh, are light beings and, and, and there's energy. It's like, well, we have tungsten inside of us knowing all the things we just learned about tungsten it kind of adds to what people say about auras possibly and like and the ability to generate heat within your body i mean mm, wim I hof, you. yeah you know what i'm saying like wim hof he goes up to the top of himalayas with uh you know a bathing suit on and he's able to survive just by doing these amazing breathing techniques that he now teaches to everybody but you gotta wonder like what on a chemical molecular level is happening in his body maybe a, a material or an element like tungsten being that it is in our human body and they one of the first inventions of tungsten like was a tungsten salt that you would take mm -hmm. as a medicine because right that's kind of why and I, I learned about this when looking into like new england's history that's kind of like why witches were thought of as like evil and whatnot it wasn't so much that um they were seen as devilish yes that was true and they were equated to Satan and all that stuff. But they were, you know, creating herbal medicines. And as people began to mine and understand minerals more and more, they valued mineral medicines or alchemical potions over these herbal potions that were older and more, you know, uh, thought of as like rudimentary. Uh, when in reality, you know, a lot of these minerals are, are toxic and not the best for us. But I wonder... You know if tungsten salts make a difference in that way and like yeah. you know, salt is a huge huge component in the body 
for conducting electricity as well. We know, you know, the electrolyte process, right? So it's just very, you know, from the armchair biologist perspective, it's, it it brings a lot of questions up. Totally. And, you know, to, to sort of, to, to add to that as well, to the fact that there's been such little research on, uh, again, the nano aspect of it. And like you said, it's being used in all these different things, you know, tungsten salt, you name it. Like it really makes you think if there's been a deliberate, not even suppression, just a total, just a full on blatant halt, like, okay, this is not being funded. This is, there's no way, um, you know, we, we see that with, with certain individuals like Jeremy Riss saying recently on, on our end of the show that, you know, there's these sort of like, um, dummy corporations that all lead up to like subsidiary companies that act as like a metaphorical garbage bin that every time someone discovers something that's against the narrative or maybe not discovers, but sort of just says, Hey, to the world, I found this. If it's a, you know, young kid that just graduated from university, he's got this, you know, excitement in him. this, this career. And then all of a sudden, you know, to, to, to his knowledge, a, a, a beautiful company comes along and says, hey, we want to buy it. But that that quote unquote beautiful company is not so beautiful. It's a dummy company to cover for this, the, the suppression amongst academia globally. Right. So I, I got to be honest with you guys. Uh, th- this is all so far. This has inspired me to, to do even more research in my spare time. But this is all that I have on tungsten so far. Yeah, that's yeah, I mean, yeah, no. I mean not, not that this is all we've all covered no, quite no. a bit. I think I think uh, I think this is one of the elements that we'll run into where, you know, there's not that much to be said about it. Like, you know, we pointed out it was only discovered in 1783. And to your point, I think when you see uh, an element like this overwhelmingly used in military technology, that may indicate that they're funneling it away from other applications that could be. Uh, beneficial and not within this whole military industrial complex but but yeah i think the you know the 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 part about it being in our bodies i don't know um my question to you would only be is it naturally occurring in our bodies versus has it been you know not socially construct but like have there been so many things we've like eaten so for so long that it's just now it is in our body now it is you know what i mean or is that do we know if that's Mm. naturally occurring like iron would be it's it's Mm. actually more more part of our microbiome so i I maybe you should have clarified it's not as much a part of like that gut bacteria type stuff and like okay yeah it's a part of certain types of archaea and eukaryotes and different little organisms, single cell mm-hmm. organisms that are in our bodies. But on the other side of it, the guy who named uh, wolframite, the you know ore that we get tungsten from, he was the founder of agricultural chemistry, which you know as we know now is very much tied into the whole military industrial complex too. Monsanto, all of this stuff. So it does kind of come full circle, but I'm totally cool with uh, putting a pin in this one, stacking it up with the others on the table of elements and moving on to the the next element, whatever synchronistically comes up. Comes up, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. A great way to wrap it up too, Mark. I really, I think that was a phenomenal way to wrap it because again, like you said, that we see the Monsanto military industrial complex that, you know, we just gave the example of uh, 10, 20 minutes ago, Phil Schneider saying, you know, this type of metals, you know, in most or all of the very high-end military equipment, at least to what we know of on the surface of things, you know, uh, you see tungsten being used within military experiments all the time. So again, 
uh, you know, with what was found in Russia, whether it was the disks or the nano spirals within relatively the same geographical vicinity. There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, the the hexagonal crystalline structures tungsten makes at the you know the atomic level like it's just it's very it's very very interesting but with that being said everybody thank you so very much once again for a a great great episode we'll be back in a week or two with the next element uh, with our great friend mark and uh, mark brother before we go could you please tell everybody where and how they can find you yeah if you're listening to this on the generation z podcast go and follow me as well the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast i post this episode there as well so my listeners can get a taste of the generation z show and uh and i do a bunch of other shows that you can find there as well mm-hmm. but go to my family to get it all in one place thank you so much and we'll catch everybody next time